It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger strewn around a crowd. It's a dream that you to the passing note of the song. Okay, we're rolling now. Now, we're rolling. now you can say it. Oh, men will. Oh, I forgot how to say it. <laughs> that was too much pressure. You Literally, start a podcast rather than go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Cheers <laughs> to the shores. To the shores. Mm. Um. Yummy. Hi. We're going to tackle a... It's 6 a.m. We're drinking whiskey. Oh, no, 6 it's not 6 a.m. <laughs> We're going to tackle a very um, simple, non-complicated... Oh, yeah. So simple. ...topic tonight. What is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> what is it good for? Oh, that one. <laughs> That's war, I think. <laughs> love. Um, do you want to start with a tweet? Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Okay. So I've been thinking... Um, I've had this long thought process that I'm trying to understand. And so I think we're going to try to work through it, talk Mm -hmm. through it on the, on the, on the cast. Some people say the pod, I say the cast. (laughs) Um, so I, I tried to condense it down to something as a starting point. So I tweeted this, um, love can make you the hero or the fool. And perhaps it is most powerful when you become both at once. I really don't know what that means. <laughs> it just like, sounds amazing. Sounds great. <laughs> I know I tweeted it and then I thought it's, that's just me trying to sound smart or something. <laughs> no, but there's something there. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe we'll start with the, the hero and the fool part. Well, I've definitely been thinking about the fool just in general, mm-hmm. like, uh, which is, uh, so, someone, I wrote this quote down and someone said, it was like, or maybe I came with, I don't know. Uh, be the fool again and again. Mm, yeah, and that's just really been helpful to me. Like to just not be um, what do you call it secure. Cause also, we listened to that podcast uh, this week too about how uh, the smarter you are, the more biased you are. Mm, yeah, I don't have a lot to. Um, yeah, that was fascinating. Go on that, but it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it was uh, the podcast with. Annie Duke, who's, uh, was like the world's best poker player for like two decades, mm-hmm. I guess she won a bunch of world championships. So she was talking about decision-making and bias and she was pointing out some studies that found that like, basically if you're presented with a set of data, um, you know, you can interpret that data in lots of different ways and you're, you will be, you're just the way that our brains work. Mm-hmm. You will interpret that based upon your priors, like based upon what you either want or expect <laughs> out of the data. Um, and that makes you biased mm-hmm. and generally people who are smarter are more biased because they're better at basically slicing and dicing and mixing the data to their benefit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I thought, I thought it was interesting too. Like, uh, sometimes we think that we get information and then we vet it or, um, uh, deliberate whether it's true or not. And then we make a decision or have a belief. <clears throat> but one thing that she was talking about was uh, uh, she kind of brought this back to some evolutionary kind of stuff where it's in our evolution to when we see something, we believe it and then we vet it. But very few people get to that third stage of vetting what their beliefs are, mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> which makes sense evolutionary. It's like you see something, you have to make a decision because it's life or death. Well, even once you do vet it, this is so... And we're kind of like screwed a bit as humans because <laughs> there was some studies I read about a while back where they would bring people in and tell them a false story hmm. and tell them that it was true. Yeah. And then they would ask them to respond to similar situations based upon what they thought was, you know, should be done in those similar situations. Mm-hmm. I wish I could be more specific. I can't remember. But basically, like, even after the people were told that the story that formed their belief was false, intentionally false. Mm-hmm. They still did not change their belief. Mm. It's really hard for us to change our beliefs once that we established them. Yeah. So be the fool again and again. Does that to you mean be aware of your biases and, and where they may, may, may be misleading you and be willing to be a fool in order to make sure that 
what is true is actually true or what you think is true is true? Yeah, I think it's just, I think there's just, uh, just also the idea is there's a high probability that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like maybe not on a level 10, you know, category, but maybe on a level one category, you know, it's like we're, or maybe I should go from one to 10. I don't know. Um, where it's like, well, given the information that I know, I can act on it and it'll produce a certain amount of outcomes that are good and favorable, you know, mm-hmm. but you take that information and it's, it doesn't actually work as you get, as things become more and more complicated. You can't have these like, uh, what are they called? Rubrics, rubrics, uh, that are simple when you're dealing with a, a more complex subject, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, I think of like, you know, Newtonian physics works really well, you know, and until you start talking about space and, and, uh, you know, relativity and stuff like that, it starts to kind of, it doesn't work as well right? in that situation. So what does it mean to be a fool in love? A fool in love. That's a really good question. I mean, even, I mean, do we want to talk about what it, what it, just to be in love is like, mm-hmm. what is, what is that? You know, it's like, that's, <laughs> it's a, well, I will say one thing. It's a powerful force mm-hmm. to be in love. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, it's, it, it almost defies definition. It's almost a lens through which you see, you start to see everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe it's like this, it's, it's, I, I, as you're saying, I'm like a little bit confused. Like, are we talking about new love? You know, mm-hmm. are we talking about being married to the same person, having kids and you're 80 years old, still holding hands mm-hmm. and you actually enjoy still being with that person? You know, it's like that. What, there's sort of like <coughs> a, a, a childish love, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I can answer that one directly. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll say what I was thinking of when I said love can make you the hero or the fool. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, of someone, let's take a man who has fallen in love with a woman mm-hmm. and you know, that could be new love or let's, let's go with new love, okay. newish love. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not 30 year committed love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a man can be solidly in love with a woman mm-hmm. and that love could be unrequited mm. and if he holds on to it, onto the love, remains in love, whether on purpose or he just can't get over it, he's just love sick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it seems to me that there's two pathways. Either he persists in his love, and we all, I think, could imagine or even write a story about a, a man who persists in love and his lover, through his persistence of love, falls in love with him. Mm-hmm. And there's also the the... the so that would be, I think, love has made a hero of him in that story, in that journey. Yeah. Um, or the other story, with it, which I think is just as easy, easy to imagine, is he doesn't. He, he persists, but he persists too much. <laughs> you know? He persists too much. And, you know, he becomes a bit stalkery and <laughs> annoying and, you know, continues to <clears throat> persist despite being asked, asked to stop Hmm. multiple times, let's say, yeah. you know, this man becomes a fool. Mm-hmm. He is blinded by his love to sort of, um, common sense or even kindness toward the one who he loves. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so, the, so this man who has fallen in love, his response can make him the hero or the fool. And, um, you know, I think maybe there's another way to think about it. And actually the way that I, maybe arrived on this is that <clears throat> you're in love with someone and, and it's a very powerful force. And, and it, it is a force which says I can overcome anything. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and I think in a sense, that's true. You know, love can overcome anything. Mm-hmm. It can overcome distance. It can overcome time. It can o- overcome rejection. It can, um, you know, but there are, you know, again, very easy story to tell man is in love with a woman and maybe she's reciprocating it, but there are some signs that come up that mm-hmm. this relationship isn't going to be healthy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or perhaps some red flags for both of them. And 
you know, so what are you to do? You have this love that can overcome anything, but you have maybe some signs that make perfect sense rationally and logically. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can't reason your way out of them. The conclusion is, you know, this relationship needs to end and you might arrive at that space. Um, but your love doesn't care. Mm -hmm. You know, your love doesn't have any, is not affected by that or changed by that. And so, so you have these two things, you have the love that says I can overcome and you have sort of the, the logic rationality that says, um, you know, this, it needs to be different than the love wants it to be. And, you know, which one do you emphasize? Because you could emphasize the signs Mm -hmm. and then, and in the relationship, but your love is unaffected. Now you're heartbroken, let's say, Mm -hmm. or you could emphasize the love, which can overcome and get on that train essentially and say, we will, I will overcome every sign and every red flag. Um, so which do you, you know, it's like, you have to choose, I suppose, which one you want to emphasize. And I think if you choose the love and it overcomes, well, then you're a hero. Mm -hmm. If you choose the signs and, that turns out to be right and you both go on to live healthier, happier lives. It's also sort of the the hero's choice. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's the other side of that. You choose the love and you become the fool Mm -hmm. or you choose the signs and it wasn't the right thing to do. You were the fool for giving up on something Mm. that was so that had so much potential and so much good for such a simple, silly little, uh, sign you know, mm-hmm. so, so love can make, you could be the hero or the fool for choosing either. So yeah. how, so how do you, you know, how do you choose? It's <clears throat> a great, that's a great question. I think it's, it's, it definitely seems like that is something that only time and failure will teach you, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like you, you think about like your first, first person you fell in love with, you know, whatever that might be, you know, it's like childhood love type thing, you know, it's like. Um, you know, you get your heart broken or, or it doesn't turn out the way you thought it was like, this one girl asked me to go out with her the next day she broke up with me. I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) You asked me to go out with you. That's funny. (laughs) I broke up with my first kiss the next day. Oh, you tell me that's great. Tell Um, that story. (laughs) uh, Seventh grade laser light show, Fiesta, Texas, San Antonio. (laughs) Uh-huh. 72 degrees out. <laughs> yeah. No, it's beautiful. Fireworks. Lips touched. First kiss. Amazing. I absolutely freaked out. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? What is this? What does this mean? I don't know what I feel. I don't know what I do. And I broke up with her and then totally regretted it and tried to get her back. And she was more mature than me and was like, yeah, you had your chance. Um, oh. Well, I mean, I think, I think actually what I, what I have described, you know, to choose love that says I can overcome anything, that's marriage. Mm. I mean, that is what the vow is. Yeah. Basically like I'm choosing to love you and I will not leave and Mm -hmm. I will not betray that no matter what changes. Yeah. That's the same thing as saying my love will overcome, mm-hmm. you know, any silly sign or flag or sickness or argument or whatever. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> the other, well, I don't know exactly what the other is, but I, I think as I'm thinking through it, what I'm, so the first thing in the, the second part of my tweet where I said love becomes most powerful when it is both at once, mm-hmm. um, I was thinking about that, that phrase at once Mm. Um, because in this in the earlier formulation the hero can become the fool and the fool who sticks with his love can become the hero and and the difference between the hero and the fool in that those instances because the person hasn't changed Mm -hmm. he stuck with the love Um, what has changed is time Mm. so to be both at once seems to be something of a fulfillment of love because there is something foolish about marrying someone and saying, I'm going to stick with you no matter what. Yeah. Like there's like <clears throat> the, the hero's love only is, is something is sort of like not compelling all that much. And neither is the fools. Mm-hmm. It's like you need the fool who, you know, is capable of becoming the hero and you need the hero who's willing to be foolish enough to do it. 
I mean, you see that in all of our movies. Yeah. You know, it's like whether it's the guy or the girl, depending on what, what side of the story is, it's like at some point they're almost required to make a fool out of themselves to demonstrate their love, you know, in some form or fashion. Absolutely. And then there comes the, the crux. Is that love requited or love accepted? You know, it's like, and whenever it's accepted, they move into, you know, into that more further maturing relationship, you right, know? Right. Um, if it's not, then it's sort of like, you know, the whole line of like, oh, let's just be friends. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, wah, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then it's like, then you have to reorient yourself, you know? But then you also see the movies where the friend, you know, like, oh, let's just be friends. And then they're friends. And then all of a sudden, the one who's wanted to be friends now wants mm-hmm. the guy or the girl. Yeah. And it's like, there's a sort of role reversal. And, and you know, definitely in like in, a, what do you call it, uh, The Office, where Jim and Pam mm-hmm. keep trans- keep switching that role. Yeah. Each becoming the fool. And then, you know, yeah. and the friend and, and all that kind of stuff. So you see this interplay. So it's almost kind of like a dance we do between being the hero, heroine, and the fool, and it's like when those when those line up, you it's like it produces something that is greater than itself, you mm, know? Yeah. Well, I think it's so interesting because I think there was a line from Jordan Peterson somewhere where he said, um, "When you fall in love with someone." you're chasing the divine in them. Hmm. And that's kind of what love is. Love is, is somewhat exclusionary, even to your object of love. Hmm. You see, you know, we all, we all know this sort of like blinded by love idea. It's like you see everything good about who you love, Mm -hmm. even at the exclusion of what you may not want to see, you'll block that out to Mm -hmm. some extent. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, I, I was at somewhere I was going with that, but I lost it. Um, but love is exclusionary hmm. in, in a, in a certain way. And so maybe the great hope of love, well, okay. Yeah. So I think I found it. So if in what you were excluding is it's, you're focusing on the divine in the person that you love at the exclusion of what is not divine about them. Hmm. Um, and maybe what love, maybe that's what love is. L- love is what seeks to glorify the divine hmm. in the other person. Love is, or, or maybe just the divine period. Mm-hmm. And to transform everything into that. That's interesting. So what do you mean by the divine? Like what is that in, in another person? that demonstrates that we are divine. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think one thing is that love sees potential. Mm. It's like when you are in love with someone, this goes back a bit to like sort of different definitions of love or different types infatuation versus I kind of don't want to get bogged down in that. I, I think that, when you're in love with someone, you see not who they are as sort of plainly represented. You see who they are at, as at their most or best mm-hmm. or who they could be. Yeah. You see everything um, sort of that, that is and could be transcendent about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like a call to partner and to help kind of coax that out of them too, you know, to partner with them in the divine, in yeah. that part that is greater than what they, who they are. Yeah. And we, you know, we're using these words, but we say this all the time. Like mm-hmm. you want to be with someone who makes, makes you a better person, Yeah, you know, or we refer to our lover or partner as our better half. Mm-hmm. You know, you want somebody who makes you better, and you also reciprocate that, but also benefit from the reciprocation of that. Because to, 
if they are better and you're around them, it's going to make you better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So love is that which seeks the divine. Hmm. Um, so another thought that I had, which is interesting, was this idea that that we said earlier that you know you may formulate reasons that your love is not properly placed. Let's say, mm-hmm. aka, a relationship needs to end. Um, and you can have perfectly rational, uh, logical, reasonable reasons for that, mm-hmm. but your love doesn't care. It's like love is, um, in some way immune to all of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't change. So you don't just decide, Hey, we're not going to do this anymore. And your love's like, Oh yeah, bummer. Okay. <laughs> you know, your love, okay. <laughs> your love is like unaffected. It's also mm-hmm. not even, it's like, you might be angry about it and are heartbroken about it, but your love just keeps on existing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's so interesting. So back to the hero and the fool, it is time and maybe the person who changes, but love, if I can extract that out into a separate sort of entity that you can relate with your, you have a relationship with your own love for someone else, let's say. Um, Let me push back on this real quick. Um, Oh, I was going to say, I'll let you push back. I was going to say, um, like your love accepts no judgment from you. You Mm -hmm. can judge your own love and say, this isn't right. This isn't good. You need to stop, but it doesn't accept any judgment from you. It's like in, in, in reverse, it's like you become judged by it, Mm -hmm. by the way that you relate to it. And again, I think that's, that's back to the idea of the hero or the fool. You become judged the hero or the fool. You are judged that by love and Mm -hmm. by the relationship you have with it. So push, push away. Yeah. I, I just, I think I just have like a, a lot of, cause I, I think of, well, I think we would both see like over time that there is a sort of maturing aspect that we see in how we love and how we engage in that space. You know, it's like you can kind of react to it in a way that you, distance distance yourself from love because you've been hurt before or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I'm not doing that. I'm not anything that kind of like looks or feels about relationship of any sort of entanglement or whatever it might be. It's like, you're just kind of not going to go there, you know? Um, where, you know, sometimes if it's your first time, it's like you get carried away into this, this thing that you're like, this is wonderful. And, (laughs) and And you lose control of yourself, you know, in a sense. And I'm, I'm kind of like, again, I'm overblowing it, but more to make a, make a point that I feel like there's something somewhere in between, in the middle between keeping that love at a distance because it is dangerous and then mm. haphazardly love is dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Haphazardly just head over heels into, you know, love because I don't, I think I think both both missed the point. It's it's like somewhere in the middle between that sort of having the caution and the understanding of how dangerous love is. Love is, and uh, on the other on one side and the other side is how wonderful and, and it actually does make you believe and do things that are more than what you thought you were capable of. Mm. Um, but you have to be willing to engage the risk of danger mm-hmm. yeah. in order to benefit from all of the good things of love has to give you. So I would, I would argue that you, you were able to love deeper, the more, the more, the more, um, the more your eyes are open. So the, the, oh, and aware of the, uh, consequences or what you're giving yourself to. By that, you mean that you're aware of the risks. You're mm-hmm. aware of the danger. Yeah. It's like you're yeah. going, you're going into this with your eyes open, but you're also accepting the risk. I want to read this passage from C.S. Lewis, the four loves about this exact same thing. Hmm. He says, 
There's no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it, keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Hmm. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Hmm. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all of the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. It's hmm. fascinating. It's astounding. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of... <clears throat> well, it wraps up everything that we have been talking about nicely that if if love is what seeks the divine mm-hmm. and that's a well that's a risky and dangerous prospect and if you want to be safe from the risk well then you're also safe from the divine it's like mm-hmm. you you choose not to engage in love you choose not to engage in whatever heaven is mm-hmm. and the uh, the the yeah the thought went through my head when you said that it's like if you engage in love uh oh shoot i want to say suffer the consequences but that's not what i mean if you engage in love like you will learn the lessons that you need to learn Hmm. um because again it's easy to if if you if you fall in love with someone and it is unrequited it's easy to become bitter and say i'm not going to do that ever again you know um but however, there's a part of opening yourself back up and continually opening yourself to love. Like, you know, whether it be friendship, whether it be your parents, whether it be, um, you know, a significant other, whatever it might be, it's like allowing yourself to be open to still love. You know, it's like, because uh, I think that, I mean, I, I do believe it also applies to parents. Like if you had a uh, tough childhood or something like that, it's like, and your parents really hurt you and wounded you and you have a, you're, you have a more than right to maybe be angry about it. But when you open yourself up to love for them, you know, with boundaries and stuff like that, it's like, you know, it's like you, you could open up doors that you would never even know existed, even mm-hmm. if it's not required, if they don't reciprocate, we have to say required again, yeah. <laughs> reciprocate, you know? But you can you can actually form a love inside yourself for your parent that you know you wouldn't have had hmm. even if it's not reciprocated. You know. Hmm. Yeah, you said something earlier before the podcast about how it's hard to give what you haven't ever received. Mm. Um, and it is interesting. I mean, if you have closed yourself off from love because of a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be helpful. I, w- I don't know necessarily if it's necessary, but it can, it can be helpful to open you back up to love when you receive love from someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's not another romantic love, but a friend who's willing to love you in ways that heal you. Yeah. And then you can be open to it. Mm-hmm. I think there is that aspect of love that is, um, well, it's, it's relational. It's experienced. I think that's why it's so important for people to have kids. Yeah. I mean, I remember when my first, son was born immediately understanding my relationship with my parents and my siblings and my friends and my wife and everyone hmm. completely differently. Like I understand, I understood something new about love that I had never understood before. Hmm. And I, I'm not sure I could tell you what that is, but the world was seen in a new light and that requires relational experience to to, to happen. Mm-hmm. So if you, well, if you deny yourself, <clears throat> if you deny love to yourself, whether that's by through bitterness or pain, you also deny yourself transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there is no r- real transformation without love and, and giving yourself some to somebody, to something. Hmm. You can't, you really can't transform. I can't think of a, 
of a, of a counter to that, honestly. Yeah, if, if, like it's like it, becoming the fool. Maybe is, that's why you say be the fool again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it, it opens you up to transformation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It does make, I mean, it just makes sense to me. It's because it, like it, it almost kind of goes back to where when you were talking about C.S. Lewis and, you know, the, the bitter heart, you know, it's like, it's like if you do close yourself off to the world, you know, and refuse to be the fool, then really the only, the only result is bitterness, you know, um, and rejection. It's like, there really is no, like the whole adage of, you know, it's like, if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards kind of thing. There's Mm. a better, I think it's a better way of saying that, but, um, there's no, there's no standing still. Mm. Yeah. It's like you're either growing or dying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it kind of reminds me of, um, you ever been like stopped at a, like in traffic, right? Mm -hmm. You're creeping along and you come to a complete stop and then maybe you'd like check your phone or you're messing with the radio and you're not really looking and out of your peripheral, I never look at my phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, out of your peripheral vision, you see sort of the car next to you going forward. But in your mind, you think, is my foot on the brake? Am I going backward? Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't, you don't process whether it's you that's moving or the other car that's moving. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so it feels as if you're going backward because all you see is the motion relative to the other car. Mm -hmm. So if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward because there is no standing still. Um, Like you, because time moves. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you are not growing or progressing and moving forward, you could say I might be stagnating, but you're not Mm. because time is continuing to move forward around you. And so relative to time, you are going backward. Mm -hmm. Deteriorating. Did I just solve time travel? You did. Damn. (laughs) You heard it here. (laughs) Shores. Yeah. I mean, it's like any relationship has to progress, you know, or it, or it dies. You know, it's like, if you like, I mean, something that you, say a lot on the podcast if 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 a relationship doesn't progress into the future it's like it can't go anywhere you know that's i think that's like whether it be friendship or with your kids if you're not involved with them into producing them into the future you know it's Mm, like and you want to encapsulate them or keep them in a place um you know i think of like um uh there was this mom in, in elementary <laughs> that that was poisoning her son it was a tv show mm-hmm. and uh and the reason why she was poisoning her son was because she needed him to be to need her mm-hmm. and didn't allow him to to grow up and to be his own you know it's like munchausen by proxy mm-hmm. what'd you call it munchausen by proxy what is that it's a it's an actual um diagnosis or hmm. disease. There was a really famous story a couple of years ago. That was life, it. They used that word. They did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Real life story where this mother had a daughter and, um, the dad was not involved and this daughter had all of these ailments. I mean, mm-hmm. everything from like cancer to like, she was in a wheelchair. She couldn't walk. She, and she was like 23 years old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, and someone she met online, the daughter and someone she met online murdered the mom. Hmm. And as they started investigating this, they started realizing that the girl was not sick at all. Hmm. And this mother had convinced her daughter and many, many uh, doctors mm-hmm. by all these crazy means of like getting diagnoses and then switching doctors and in elaborating and like, and had her diagnosed with like very serious things that it seems like it would be easy to look and say, no, this isn't true. But Mm -hmm. she convinced her that she was sick. She wanted her daughter around and her daughter was, went along with it because she had to, to please her mother. And then at some point she snapped and she couldn't take it anymore. And she met this guy online and they formed a relationship and then they planned to kill the mom and they did. 
That's that's exactly that. Must this episode must have been based off of that? You almost like <laughs> laid the episode out completely. Yeah, it must be. Uh, it's pretty. Um, it's a pretty wild thing. It is, but again, I mean, it's like it's like a, a mom loves their child, you know, and but at some point, if you don't allow your child to grow and you grow with your child, it starts to become something that's not love. Mm-hmm. It's no longer seeking the divine in that individual. Mm-hmm. It, it starts to become something much more selfish. Yeah. Or even you see old people that are just embittered to each other, like, like <laughs> they cannot say a nice word, you know, at some point that love didn't progress. Mm. And, and you see it because like you see those older people that still love each other, you know, and that something, something got in the way. Yeah. You know, what, what was that? I think those are, those are really interesting questions mm-hmm. to like, why, why did this relationship continue into the future? And this, these others almost like paused somewhere yeah. and they're deteriorated and they just never got divorced or whatever it might be. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, yeah, the, the, well, I think it's interesting when people do stay together and the love is clearly not there. Mm. So it's a weird inversion. It's like the original love which said, I will overcome anything, which became manifest in a vow mm. as I think in a sense it must. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it's liable to break based upon, you know, again, this idea of like any sort of silly sign or flag that comes up, yeah. you are liable to break. Um, but then at some point, maybe that contract, that vow becomes more important than the love that, uh that gave rise to it and the love dies and you cling to the contract Mm -hmm. and that's not healthy. I mean, yeah. It makes me think of like the, the difference between the law and the spirit of the law, you know, like you can interpret the law very strictly and, um, dogmatically, but what was the law intended for? What was its intended purpose? Mm. What did it, what did it want to achieve? You know, Hmm. Not just that it was here to punish, but what was the object that it was set in place to achieve? And in marriage, you do have a certain format, but it's not the, like, till death do you part. It's like, well, all right, I'm with you till I die. You know, it's like, like, no, it's like, hey, this shit's going to be hard. And, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to overcome some major stuff here. And it's not so much... Well, it is that this shit's going to be hard, but mm. it's hard, I think, for the reasons that we laid out earlier. And that's because love, love is dangerous. Mm. Love is risky. Mm-hmm. I mean, it involves <clears throat> pursuing the divine, which necessarily involves vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like if you want me to be the most transcendent version of myself, it means I have to attend to the things that are not that. I have to hmm. attend to the reasons that I'm not fully the best I could be. And you have to see those too, yeah. you know, and maybe the blindness of love at the beginning becomes less blind as, as it seeks its end goal, which mm. is, is to make the recipient of that love the best that they can be. Hmm. And that means that, you know, Hey, I've, you know, it's could be something so simple as like, you know, for the first three years or, or whatever, some period of time of our relationship. Like Mm -hmm. I was willing to not notice this one little thing that suddenly is blaring at me that completely annoys me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've got to tell you about it Mm -hmm. because my, as my love expands over time and in scope for you, it has to start including those things, which, which need to be attended to. Oh, well. And so there, there's the risk, right? There's yeah. the vulnerability. There's the danger. Mm-hmm. And your response to that is, you know, if I love you and I point something out, you know, it might come from love, but it might also include some frustration and bitterness mm-hmm. of my own. And you might feel that. And you're rather than say, yes, I want to be vulnerable and receive your love and be better. Mm-hmm. You might say that, why are you treating me this way? Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel like love. That yeah. hurts and might make you close up. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> So yeah, that's what the shit that gets hard, mm-hmm. especially in a long-term romantic relationship, because there isn't much more vulnerable than that. 
Yeah. You know, even in the, in the physical sense, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, to, to be literally, to literally expose yourself to another individual, mm-hmm. to be naked with that person. It's, yeah. It's very vulnerable. Yeah. Some, some symbology of that is really, of just the, uh, like procreation and nakedness and, you know, it's like <laughs> naked. <laughs> nakedness. <laughs> That's a very Texan. Yeah. Are you naked? Naked. Naked. <laughs> I like it. Naked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it was like Peterson or someone was like making that idea. Is like, you know, like we stand on two legs and expose our most vulnerable parts. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, is really fascinating. Like we're just, we've almost, you know, in order for us to, uh, evolve and do the things that we have done, bigger heads and brains and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, we've also made ourselves more vulnerable yeah. to our environment. And <clears throat> I think that's, uh, you know, even as, as, as human babies are some of the most vulnerable, uh, babies, uh, in the animal kingdom, yeah, you know, absolutely. and how much time we have to spend in protecting and caring for an infant and, I mean, up to four, whatever it is. Somebody made the point. <clears throat> it might have been Brett Wine, Brett and Heather Weinstein, evolutionary evolutionary biologists, that evolution made a trade off in human females, hmm. in that as we got smarter and our brains got bigger, um, hmm. in order that basically our mothers can birth us, the evolutionary trade off is that they 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 give birth to us prematurely oh, and yeah. then finish our development outside the womb. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Cause if we got any bigger, we'd break them in half coming out, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. So, um, I mean, that I, I think, it, yeah, it is beautiful. It's like, it, that is why you have mm-hmm. a baby and it's not, you know, you watch any other animal, they have babies and they either just like peace out immediately. Mm-hmm. The, the parents, you know, or the baby like plops on the ground and gets up and just starts walking around and doing its thing. And, you know, we don't do that. Mm-mm. Babies are absolutely helpless to like to the degree that if you have a baby, a newborn baby and deprive them of human touch, that mm. baby will die. Yeah. You know, it's not even just food. It's like they're a fully, a, a full term pregnancy is still a premature birth. Yeah. In evolutionary terminology. And that's so, I mean, like you and I are just learned a lot of this stuff over the last five years. Mm hmm. You know, I mean, it's like, why, why don't we teach this stuff in school? You know, mm-hmm. I, we're so worried about two plus two, not equal, equaling five or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want, we're not going to go that direction, <laughs> you know, but there's this, there's things that are absolutely fascinating that help us cope with the world around us. You know, it's like we do have a need for love, you know, yeah. whether it be physical affection, whether it be community, um, you know, Hmm. you know, even, even today, even though this is something that is frowned upon, it's like we, most of us, you know, 90% of us need to have kids. There's something in our development that we have as humans that without becoming a parent is very difficult to experience Mm -hmm. and mature and grow. Um, and I think it also helps with thinking beyond yourself and beyond your own, lifetime when you start thinking about your kids your grandkids well how am i going to look into the future you know and build something or make something sustain that can make a better place for my kids and my kids kids you know um so again i think that need to be love also is built into our biology it's interesting to think about that in sort of the terms of the conversation we're having Mm -hmm. it's like that we need love Mm -hmm. that seems self-evident like Mm -hmm. i don't think that you could it would be a rare person who would argue with you that that's not true Mm -hmm. right would be my expectation but well they might say like you need sex Mm. but that seems very well if we accept the definitions we've laid out here yeah like then yes you do need love Mm -hmm. because if you're not moving forward you're moving backward Mm -hmm. love seeks the divine in you mm-hmm. or tries to move you forward, let's say, 
tries to help you grow to be better. And if you won't, if you, if you're not doing that, then you're moving backward. Mm-hmm. It's like you're either moving toward heaven or toward hell in some yeah. sense. And without love, you know, maybe there are ways, but it's very hard to understand the divine in yourself without it or to see it. It's like you need it mm-hmm. to reveal it. Well, even I think, uh, again, I, don't, I, I, won't, I will not be able to do this justice, but I think that is sort of proven out in evolution in general is like, you know, when we have religions over this over the century that sort of have like this reference point of something other and divine, you know, it's like, uh, you know, put whatever you want into that, that bucket, you know, it's like, but we have this, this thing about achieving or looking beyond ourselves. So there's like, so there's sort of animal part of us that, that needs this quotation mark love, but that could just be belonging or protection, or it could have to do with more of this sort of animal aspect to us. But I think, you know, again, what has kind of set us up, set us apart from other animals, I think is that idea of the divine. And I think that can be, um, spoken about in a lot of different ways, but, you know, I think that, I think that has also led towards, you know, more monogamous, uh, relationships and caring for, um, caring and knowing what, who your lineage is and, and projecting into the future, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I, I scrambled the last part on that, but <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't really, I didn't want to go all the way there, but, uh, um, but again, I think, I think there's something that the, the aspect of the vine that has also led to the, the betterment of, um, our species. Well, by definition, I think. <clears throat> because I would say that the divine, however you conceptualize it, is is be- is just simply better. Mm-hmm. It's like, not true. You know, with the development, the evolution of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to better um, describe what consciousness is than an awareness of the future. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you're aware of the future, you're aware that the future could either be better or worse. Mm-hmm. You know. Because things are okay right now, they could be worse. Mm-hmm. So you could worry about how they could be worse. And, and the alternative to that is to think about how they could be better. And of course you want things to be better rather than worse. You know, so you think about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, I want tomorrow to be better. Um, and if you play that out over enough days, years, well, how good does better become? Mm-hmm. And I think the, the concept of the divine is well it's it's the best you can imagine Mm -hmm. things can get better to a to such a degree that it is it becomes divine Mm -hmm. heavenly yes Mm -hmm. and i think that's exactly what heaven is it's the ultimate conclusion of better it's interesting as you're saying that it's like you know even as our culture more and more seemingly seems less religious Mm -hmm. and we have less of a concept of divine or that seems silly. Um, it's like, I wonder how much that leads us to pessimism, you know, to almost nihilism in a sense, you know, maybe not completely, but an underlying nihilism. Cause I, I think there's two things that happen that need to happen is one is to understand and truly assess the risk. So there's a healthiness in that. But it should, it should be in order to create a better future. So there's a part where you're you're assessing the risk, and then you're building walls and protecting and and narrowing the future, and making it smaller. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then there's a part of like really understanding and assessing the risk, but it's in order to project into the future something better, something good. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hell, uh, oh, this is so sweet. Like. Hazel, we asked her, like, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? She's like, I want to protect the waters. She's like, okay, well, what, what do you want to protect about the waters? She's like, well, um, I want to make sure all, 
the animals, she's eight years old. So, uh, <laughs> I want to make sure all the animals are healthy and safe. I'm like, Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Well, how, how are you going to accomplish this? We're asking these requests. <laughs> and she's like, well, I want to build a team and then build an aquarium where I can house them and get them better and then release them. Interesting. And I'm like, that's a fucking business plan. You know? <laughs> Your eight year old has <laughs> right? a business plan. I know. It's talking like, about building teams. I know. Exactly. I was like, I was like, Oh my gosh. That's pretty amazing. It was really cool. Yeah. Like, I also kept asking her the questions. I was like, going, where's this going? Like, this is, <laughs> this is really good. And she was just like saying in her little eight year old voice. And you're just like, man, I want to build teams with you. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's awesome. Here's a problem. Okay. What are we going to do about this problem? Well, we're going to save people. You can easily stop there and be like, Oh, we're going to save people. Well, yeah. How are you going to save people? Well, yeah. I'm going to build an aquarium and I'm going to take care of these animals and get them better but not just to get them better, but to release them back into the wild hmm. to be something they were supposed to be, you know? Yeah. Well, I love, uh, you used the word narrowing earlier. Hmm. Okay. And that's, that's exactly the process you did with her, hmm. is narrow it. Hmm. What do you want to do? Why do you want to do that? Mm -hmm. How are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same idea of love being exclusionary. Oh, interesting. It's also the same idea of simply saying, I want tomorrow to be better. I mean, all of these things are oh. a narrowing, mm -hmm. a focusing. Mm -hmm. and, and when you focus in on something, you ignore what is outside of it. Mm -hmm. You know, even to say, I want tomorrow to be better is to say, is to say, I want to discard all of the versions of tomorrow, which make it worse. Yeah. I want to exclude all of those mm -hmm. and narrow into what is better. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing that you do when you <clears throat> fall in love with someone. I want to exclude all other options hmm. for the love that I have available to give and give it to you. Yeah. Same thing that you do, you know, so, so it's, you do it with your wife, you do it with your friends, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> so fascinating. You, you, you love is a narrowing. Hmm. Well, I was thinking like we were talking about this uh, earlier. I just want to say this because like, when I said it, I was like, "Oh wow, that's really interesting." Like, like I have a I, Matt and I have a lot of friends, and and you know, it's like, but I can't commit to one night a week with all my friends, you know. So <laughs> Matt and I have been committing one night a week. Uh, we usually do more, but like one night a week to do podcasts. To do it's yeah. like, yeah, but you don't have you only have so much time, so you have to narrow and you have to exclude in order to build depth of any sort. And I think that is, that's the, you know, even as you choose a mate, it's sort of like, there's that part that it's like, you have to narrow and exclude in order to have any sort of depth or experience. Oh, so fascinating. Of. Yeah. So fascinating. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I don't know where this takes us, but there's somebody I was listening to made the point about discrimination that mm -hmm. like, it's very popular to say you know, discrimination is bad. You shouldn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what about uh, discrimination in sexual partners? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you should. I mean, you should choose who you want to be vulnerable with, yeah. who you choose to trust, mm -hmm. who you choose to give yourself to, who you choose to engage in. Mm -hmm. You, It's exactly what you do is discriminate. I say, I choose you. I do not choose anyone else. Mm -hmm. And whether that's for a night or a month or the rest of your life. Yeah. And you're literally excluding everything so that you can include the one thing. Mm -hmm. It's important. You can't do anything if you don't have some sort of like, mm. yeah, discriminating. It's like, well, <laughs> you, I mean, at a, at like a, I'm going to sleep with every woman at the bar because yeah. I am not discriminating. <laughs> I'm not discriminatory. <laughs> Come all women. <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> Cause I will not discriminate. Cause I will not discriminate. <laughs> Uh, we could go somewhere with that. One yeah. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah, I don't want to follow that too far. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, so interesting though. I mean, I, even like at a, just a purely technical functional level, mm -hmm. you have to discriminate just to even like see anything. Well, can you make a, can you make an argument? Like, why would you not want to pursue marriage? Why would anyone not mm -hmm. want to pursue marriage? Yeah, not you, but I mean, yeah, yeah. but in, yeah, in general. Well, sure. It's, it's the exact same principle at work. Okay. So it says, I, w well, I, I want to, 
give my full energy and love and attention to something at the exclusion of everything else. Mm-hmm. And marriage could fall into the category of everything else. Hmm. Um, you know, so it could be what I want to accomplish is, uh, oh, I was going to use, you know, monks for example, but maybe we'll just avoid that example. Um, you know, maybe I want to be, uh, w- one of the first people to settle Mars. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe I'm so focused on that, that marriage just isn't a good idea Gotcha. because I'm very likely to die. Mm -hmm. And my whole goal is to leave this planet and you can't come with me. So, you know, it's probably not a good idea. So it's like, I'm, I'm choosing something which doesn't allow me to include that. Yeah. That's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. That seems like, it feels like that's such a, I think it's a very valid, but it seems it's a, it's a very, um, what do you call it? R- uh, rare, a rare, like that's not, that, that wouldn't, that shouldn't be the case for most humans, you know? It's like, but there should, yeah, it's don't, like, I don't a, think it is. There's like a, um, there is a, there's a segment of the population that, that I think there's, that's, I think that sounds amazing, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, maybe I, I think I, that might have been oh, that might open up too many things. Um, well, that question right there, because I, I'm 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 just kind of curious. Like, it's hard because I get stuck between two different worlds right now, and one is sort of like our modern, um, our modern expression of our evolutionary selves and our evolutionary selves up to the modern age. <laughs> You know, so, so it's almost today we have the luxury of excluding much that we, up to probably a hundred to 200 years ago, we didn't have the luxury to exclude, you know, like living around your family. Like that was kind of like, if you were, if you were to not live around your family and you needed help and stuff like that, like your family unit was your help. That was like who ran the farms, who, mm-hmm. who took care of you when you were older. But now we have old mm-hmm. folks homes. It's kind of a have... primary reason to have kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Primary to have kids. Yeah. I mean, that is a luxury, like even back to the formulation of, I want tomorrow to be better rather than worse. I mean, I don't think any human, you know, maybe it's always, it may be anyone at any kind could have said this, but mm-hmm. it seems really unique given uh, our current, yeah. the, the, how much better things have gotten over the last Mm. even 100 years. Yeah. You know, we can actually focus all of our attention on things getting better. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you imagine almost anyone living 500 years ago, mm-hmm. primarily you're focused on not dying. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's, it's like you all of your work is going to survival. Yeah. Um, so you look forward into the future and, <clears throat> You know, there are small incremental things you can do to say, make tomorrow better. But primarily Mm -hmm. the effort is make sure things don't get worse. (laughs) You know, Uh, it seems like there's such a more of a, a select, a a select few as you go back fewer, further and further into the past that were able to think into the future, you know, like, you know, Da Vinci or something like that. You know, it's like he was thinking into the future or envisioning something that greater. I mean, even like religious thinkers, whether you talk about Buddha or Jesus or, you know, you know, you're projecting into the future, but that was like, that was, that was very select few people that had the, but now today it's like anyone could go pick up a book in the, in the United States anyways, or Western Amazon. Shit. I got five books yesterday. I opened, I ordered on Tuesday. True. (laughs) You know, it's like we have, but the, but and there were people that lived before the printing press. Like yeah. they didn't have access to books. Uh-uh. Yeah. Or couldn't read. Yeah. And so it's I'm kind of wondering if we not having that selection uh, pressure on us, you know, it's like how that also affects us not having that, the motivation. Like there has to be some sort of tension there too. Maybe even in love, there has to be some sort of tension hmm. in the idea of, Oh, that's fascinating. So it's almost like, again, coming back to a paradox, but the tension of, of needing love, but then also 
allowing it to make a fool of yourself, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, I just think like in, in marriage, it's like, you're always like, you've kind of committed to somebody. And so you've kind of, you're trusting them with something about yourself and, you know, you're kind of opening yourself up to being hurt because if you protect yourself from that, that relationship is not going to progress into the future because you're protecting yourself from a possible wound. You're, you're, you're not allowing the tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you need the tension to allow yourself to actually experience more love. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Fascinating. That's funny. Luca totally broke my, Mental flow state. <laughs> Luca. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good place to end it anyway. Yeah. Luca was like, you guys are done. You guys are done. <laughs> Enough of this love stuff. <laughs> He's like, unless you're loving me. <laughs> totally. Well, cheers. Thanks for yeah. coming to the shores with us. Definitely. And, uh, <laughs> love you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>